Good evening, everybody. It's lovely to see you here, and a very warm welcome to the SOAS Center for Film Studies inaugural public lecture on African film, co-hosted with the Center of African Studies and sponsored by the Liebehume Trust. And I'd like to say a big thank you to Angelica Bashira, Anna Demutis, and Ponciano Bimini for all their help in putting together the organization of the event tonight. In conceptualizing the need for a series of public lectures on the topic of African film, we felt that it was really important to put the, the focus on scholarship uh, focused on African narrative screen media, since this engagement with the fictional and imaginative dimensions of, me of the media in Africa is often marginalized. Furthermore, because of the inequalities in academia itself, where an unjust hierarchy um, often persists between uh, the Euro-American world and many African contexts, particularly in terms of the sites of scholarly publication, we wanted to highlight the vital and ground groundbreaking work being undertaken by film scholars based uh, in Africa. And we are extremely privileged and honored to have as our first keynote speaker, Dr. Liteko Modisani, who has traveled all the way from Cape Town in South Africa to be with us tonight. So thank you so much, Dr. Modisani, for your generosity in, in doing this in the middle of a very busy term for you. Um, Dr. Madhusani is a senior lecturer in the Center for Film and Media Studies at the University of Cape Town. Um, he earned his PhD at the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, and he was until recently a lecturer in the African Literature Department at Fitz University. His scope of interests includes repertoires of symbolic representations in the contemporary political public sphere in South Africa. He's currently writing a book on Nelson Mandela uh, as a cinematic and televisual subject. And... Um, he is the author of South Africa's Renegade Reels, The Making and Public Lives of Black-Centered Films, which focuses on the public lives of iconic black-centered films in South Africa from the colonial to the post-apartheid eras. I can't think of a more appropriate person to deliver this inaugural lecture on African film, which is why we invited Dr. Madasane. His work has re-envisioned South African and African uh, film studies, breathing new life into what Kenneth Harrow has um, lamented as sometimes old and tired formulas. Dr. Madhusani's work is so effective since it speaks directly to a paradox that has been central within the history of a certain kind of African cinema that can be summed up by something that Hubert Balls, a former director and founder of the Rotterdam Film Festival, once said, which is that a film that is not seen is dead. Dr. Madhusani does this by exploring Warner's concept of the public in contexts where, as he puts it, circulation may be a limit. In this way, Dr. Madhusani's work also has groundbreaking potential for global film studies in the ways that it takes us beyond what Julianne Burton has critiqued as imminent film criticism, that is film criticism that remains wedded to interpreting only the film text itself. Instead, Dr. Madhusani moves us to think about the public lives of films, in other words, about films' complex relationships to much broader discourses and events. In a very sophisticated way, then, he's helping us to answer that old um, but vitally important question, which is, can films change the world, and if so, how can they do that? So I think I speak for all of us when I say we are delight delighted and extremely grateful to be part of the ongoing public life of uh, Dr. Madhusani's own work, um, and what will happen tonight is Dr. Manasani will speak for about 45 minutes, and then after that we are very honored to also have with us 
Dr. Kali Kutsia, the editor of the Journal of African Cultural Studies, which is one of the leading uh, uh, journals in African, African studies and a quite revolutionary journal, I have to say. And Dr. Kutsia will give a response to Dr. Madasani's lecture, and after that we'll open up for uh, questions from you all and discussion, and after that we'll have some wine and snacks and we can keep talking in a more informal way. Okay, so thank you. Without further ado, I would like to pass over to Dr. Lateko Madasani. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for the kind introduction and for inviting me to uh, the University of London here at SOAS. And uh, I thank my audience here for making the time to come today to uh, hear me speak. Um, I'm really very honored. The generosity, actually, is from the center, from SOAS itself. Uh, um, and uh, I was just, you know, uh, lucky to be the one who was uh, invited <laughs> to, uh, to be here. So thank you very much for that. I will be reading uh, um, the work that I'll be, uh, you know, um, kind of talking about here today. So I beg you to kind of indulge uh, uh, me with your attention as I go through, because sometimes, you know, reading can be a very tedious thing for, you know, uh, uh, an audience. Um, I will try to make it less, as less tedious as possible for for you, okay? Uh, let me begin. Um, publicness in Africa is a problematic that cannot be thought of outside the conditions that make it possible or those that deny its vitality. To be sure, publicness, which generally denotes the state of being a public, the mutual awareness of strangers and familiars in relation to objects of common attention, resonates with an open, free, and unfettered traffic of ideas. The basic conditions for the flow of these ideas is an open and unrestricted infrastructure and political terrain. But political conditions across the continent have come to define Africa in varied ways that make such openness uneven or near impossible in some cases. Uh, to state the obvious, but an important obvious, Africa is not homogeneous um, and can never be. Therefore, I can never claim to speak about it in its entirety or on behalf of it all. For this reason, the topic of my talk, uh, uh, cinema and its publics in Africa, is perhaps specious. Um, again, because its primary focus is uh, South African uh, cinema. Uh, admittedly, particular geopolitical zones in Africa also present their own complex dynamics, social, political conditions, and cultural life that make exhaustive analysis um, difficult. But some broad strokes can be uh, supposed. I come to publicness in Africa not just as a fascinating theme in and of itself, but as a growing sub-area of film studies, or to use a new comprehensive category, screen media studies in Africa. The coupling of film as a concept and practice with public or publicness is a productive way to think about how in its material portability, mobility, and resonance, film assumes a site for the very possibility of public engagement in Africa and its elsewhere. But to think about film or screen media um, and publicness in relation to Africa is to also invite several questions pertaining to the very conditions that make or unmake publics. These questions are in one sense contextual, uh, but also insistently methodological. The central concern here is with the critical role that the meeting of film and public, uh, on the other hand, uh, kind of uh, presuppose. The first question is, how do we locate publics in repressive political conditions where there is no free speech and censorship abounds? 
How do we define the critical in public critical engagement? How do we read uh, the critical in public critical engagements with a modicum of objective humility that the standardized academic syntax may sometimes allow? What methodological challenges come into view in the advent of conventions of film narrative and aesthetics that are not in keeping with the established conventional types in Africa? For instance, do films pose the limits of their own publicness on account of their aesthetic shortcomings? Or is it the question of whether and how films of any type are implicated in the catalyzing of public reflection in Africa? Tough questions, but this obviously cannot be exhausted in one single talk. But I, I make an attempt to show that their provocation do find a response in the making and public lives of some films in Africa. I will discuss film or cinema and publicness mainly in relation to Kabek Africa, made in 1959, and Mapanzula, made in 1988, and practices that are broadly reflective of African dynamics. These films were, one way or another, practically rendered illicit by the apartheid state, that is Kabek Africa and Mapanzula. I will show that cinema is both reflective of publicness in relation to African experience and serves as a catalyst for what I have called public critical engagement. Such reflections, I argue, present different types of publics that are invested in contestation over the continent's image, visions of its, uh, its post-colonial present and uh, future. Now, methodologically, the very nature of film as concept and practice is uh, as material and an abstraction as a perceptual presence and mimetic absence demands more than exegetic attention. Being a heterogeneous modern phenomenon, film is a form of text that variously oscillates between the abstract and the concrete. It is therefore incumbent upon scholars to read African films with sensitivity to several aspects of its nature that is in ways that exceeds its narrative or purported voice of its significations. Uh, Mary Masilda, whose 2007 fascinating work called African Kame, Transnational Cinema as an Arena of Cultural Contradictions, points to another refreshing approach and methodology, to one uh, refreshing approach and methodology uh, in the study of African cinema. It examines, and I quote, how African transitional or transnational diasporic cinema speaks to different discursive audiences on the basis of contextual analysis of one transnational film and its mediated reception in the home country and abroad, quote unquote. The work is an illuminating acknowledgement and a demonstration of the expansiveness of the public discursivity of cinema. It surfaces different communities of discourse in Senegal and abroad into which African Kamen entered and the debates that ensued uh, after that. Publicness of film is also sustained in the scholarly field thanks to a forthcoming and interesting doctor, doctoral study by Christine Singer. The study's consideration of, and I quote, power relations and ethics informing the production of youth-focused uh, South African narrative films and television programs made after 1994 and their role in creating publics, um, quote unquote, means that Singer's work broadens the conversation around publics and motion pictures in Africa. It shows in part how new media conversions facilitate screen media's creation of what she calls, after Laura Berland, intimate publics uh, in uh, South Africa. Now, in my own work, South Africa's re renegade reels, 
the making and public lives of black-centered films, I show that a category of films that I've called black-centered serve as catalysts of public engagement or for public engagement on blackness and other related themes. I would like to speak about some of these films today as part of a larger reflection of cinema and publicness in Africa. Theoretically, in the book, I drew on social theorist and literary uh, critic called Michael Warner's theoretical explication of publics that come into being in relation to texts that circulate. And this is a concept I stay with in the present talk. Warner says, and I quote, without the idea of a text that can be picked up at different times and in different places, by otherwise unrelated people, we would not imagine a public as an entity that embraces all the users of the text, whoever they might be. Often the texts themselves are not even recognized as texts, but the publics they bring into being are still discursive in the same way. Quote unquote, Warner, 2002. Now the idea of a text is grasped as a publicly apprehended object, which obtains at the point of public engagement with its meanings or significance. Therefore, text is an object that has complex effects. It both engenders and inherits discourse. However, this effect can only take place through circulation. Um, yet for Warner, no single text can create a public, uh, nor a single voice, a single genre, even a single media. All are insufficient to create the kind of reflexivity that we call a public, since a public is understood to be an ongoing space of encounter for discourse, quote unquote. It follows then that circulation is essential to the publicness of text. The films I examined in the book are uh, Come Back Africa, a film which was made clandestinely uh, in, uh, in 1959, and it's one of the first significant cinematic engagements with black identity and modernity in South Africa very critical of the apartheid uh, system, and also a pioneering film when it comes to the representation of uh, black subjectivity uh, on film in, uh, in South Africa. Uh, Ute Liwe, made in 1975, was indirectly produced by uh, the apartheid state's Department of Information through a subsidy scheme. It fell under what was called the B scheme for African language films, uh, which differentiated it from the A scheme uh, reserved for Africans and English language films. Uh, the scheme required that in a film, a minimum of 75% of the dialogue must be in an African language. Uh, such films were, however, generally directed by white filmmakers. Now, the interesting thing about Uteliwe is that it was produced by the state. In the 1970s, the apartheid state became a filmmaking state alongside um, interest in um, ownership of media, for instance, uh, buying newspapers. Uh, the present uh, company called NASPAS, media company called NASPAS in South Africa, for instance, has its roots in that conflation of uh, state interest uh, in media and uh, private interest of some of uh, uh, the uh, white, uh, white minorities uh, back then. So when you watch your DSTV uh, uh, in South Africa or in Africa, uh, we have to kind of not forget the kind of interlinks between the uh, privacy, its privacy as a media conglomerate, and uh, the state politics that make, that make it possible. So film was also implicated in the way apartheid was trying to uh, kind of uh, present itself to the world. It was a time when apartheid was under siege 
uh, internationally because of the anti-apartheid movement. So it became important for certain images to actually be produced through the very infrastructure of the state uh, to sell a particular story, a story uh, that obfuscated, that uh, uh, um, uh, hid, that sought to hide uh, the, the, the repressive nature uh, of the state itself. But Odeliwe was made particularly for a black audience, which means that a certain message was being sent, was being uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, proselytized you know, towards uh, you know, black audiences to, uh, uh, to say that. Uh, these are your images. This is what we want you to be like. Okay? But the interesting thing about the, the entire project of Odeliwe is that much as it had a political uh, uh, project behind it, which was pro-apartheid, its publicness proved otherwise. It became a, a popular hit uh, with audiences in South Africa, with black audiences in South Africa. Um, and in a way that then uh, spoke very much to the awareness of uh, the black audiences uh, about certain things in the film uh, and how they relate to their own lives uh, in the 1970s at that time. For instance, the image on the left here, my left, is of Cynthia Shange, who was the kind of central protagonist in the film itself. A woman, a black woman, a protagonist in a film in the 1970s uh, in South Africa. Quite progressive on its own, but at the same time, again, interesting because she was a beauty queen. Therefore, there was something about her as a figure of a particular kind of modernity uh, that uh, somehow black people saw as uh, uh, worthy of uh, kind of embracing. But embracing it in a way that did not resonate with the expectations of the apartheid state in its production of Udeliwe itself. So this is just one example of how these films, with their own kind of uh, projections, were actually undercut by a particular kind of uh, publicness that was also related to the awareness and or alertness of audiences to their own conditions, political conditions, uh, kind of social circumstances, and what that meant, the, the importance, the significations you know, uh, uh, you know, of that for them. Uh, Mapanzula, made in 1988, was an overtly uh, anti-apartheid engagé film about a petty gangster in the context of the 1980s political unrest in the townships in South Africa. Uh, it presents a militant filmic idiom in the tradition of fat cinema theory and practices. The post-apartheid uh, 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 film uh, Fools, made in 1997, reconstructs the historical will of the late apartheid era by representing a 1980s township in a manner that revealed levels of violence among uh, the uh, black uh, uh, township residents uh, themselves. The narrative of Fools revolves around the rape of a young woman by her teacher and the injustice of patriarchal attitudes uh, towards, uh, 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 towards her ordeal. Uh, going back to Mapanzula, Another very interesting uh, kind of installment uh, in South Africa's film culture at that time. Also part of the subsidy scheme coming from within the apartheid, you know, kind of cultural uh, machinery. Uh, it did not also uh, um, present images that were favorable to the apartheid state itself. Now this is interesting because you're using state money, but you're producing a narrative that, is, that, is, uh, 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 actually, that actually opposes, you know, the state's politics. Now, how did they do that? They actually presented a false script. These are the directors, Oliver, uh, Oliver Schmitz and Thomas Mukotlani. They presented a false script to the state institution that was responsible for this subsidy uh, 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 film, uh, film scheme. 
uh, a film about you know gangster the script was about you know gangsterism in the township and stuff but by the time they shot the film the, the film went to production it was something else it had all you know kinds of uh, political you know uh, references and uh, uh, idiom an idiom that can also be traced to third cinema in a way because it was about protest for instance uh, uh, um, in, in, in townships at that time, it mirrored the protests that were taking place in the 1980s in South Africa, but it married a narrative of this political protest with a narrative of gangsterism, so that the gangster becomes an interesting kind of uh, a subject of development uh, within you know, an, uh, an unfolding political, uh, 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 political uh, uh, narrative. Okay? Uh, fools also, very interesting, coming after you know, uh, the fall of, uh, of, of apartheid itself. Uh, also very critical, um, coming uh, again organically like Mapanzula, uh, you know, from within, you know, uh, uh, um, kind of repertoires of, of, of black cultural, you know, uh, production, because the makers, uh, Ramadan Suleiman and Begis Yusuf Peterson, were themselves coming out of a tradition of protest theater uh, in, uh, in South Africa. And Begis Peterson himself is also part of, you know, the academy in South Africa, so he participates in film production at the same time as uh, he is actually pronouncing on it uh, within academic circles and stuff. Um, at the same time, it is informed again by a black consciousness, you know, sensibility, in which a black audience becomes the first, the first port of call in addressing political issues, basically being critical of certain things that are happening in black communities. So it was a difficult film uh, in that sense that it was it was taking an honestly critical view of the kinds of violence that black people were visiting upon each other uh, you know, in the township itself. And that proved to be a very difficult thing for them to actually uh, raise money for uh, in making of the film because at some point they were accused of being too critical you know, of uh, the black community, uh, uh, the black community uh, uh, itself. Now, Yizo Yizo, these are two characters from a television series called Yizo Yizo. I, I don't have the, uh, the poster here. Um, it's a state commission three-season television series addressed at the problems in the township schools in South Africa. It was controversial because of its gritty violence, overt sexuality, and lurid language of the youth. Uh, some commentators even called for its censorship and outright uh, uh, banning. Now, the production and circulation of films in Africa has constantly been subjected to one or another form of censorship. This is a moot point in the consideration of the tension between publicness and censorship. The tendency to censor has a long historical uh, uh, legacy uh, in, in, in Africa. For instance, the film Flame by Ingrid Sinclair, the Zimbabwean film, uh, about the participation of female combatants in Zimbabwe's Revolutionary War for Independence also caught controversy when it was released. According to Andrew Westdale of the newspaper The Mail and Guardian, at the time of its, of its release in 2007, when it was premiered in, 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 in South Africa, and I quote, despite the filmmakers getting script clearance uh, before or from Zimbabwe's Minister of uh, Information, the government seized sections of the film before its completion on the grounds that a rape scene was pornographic. Then the Zimbabwean War Veterans Association demanded the film be banned as it portrayed women soldiers uh, being raped by comrades, quote, unquote. Now, 
when you think about the statements or the excuses for banning you know, the film, you come across a very, very kind of interesting uh, narrative. A narrative that uh, uh, hides as much as it reveals. Okay? So you've got a nationalist discourse that uh, is kind of uh, the premise of the, of, of, of the Zimbabwean state uh, you know, politics, war veterans uh, and uh, uh, state functionaries themselves coming from a history of a revolutionary war against, uh, against colonialism, uh, uh, saying that there is a rape scene in the film and it's pornographic. But we know uh, uh, that the very presence of a female soldier or a female combatant, to be more, uh, more precise, in the film um, as uh, actually central protagonist in uh, the depiction of the Revolutionary War on its own uh, is a, mood, you know, a, a point because what it does is it marginalizes the common narrative of the male as actually the, the central figure in uh, combating you know, uh, uh, colonialism or in the fight against colonialism uh, in, in, uh, in Zimbabwe. At the same time, the film is produced by a white female filmmaker, which you know, uh, on its own did not sit well with the, uh, with the, with the nationalists themselves. So in a way, the point uh, really that I'm making is that uh, at some uh, level, the production of films uh, do attract you know, uh, censorship as a result of their own kind of uh, political you know, uh, 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 positioning and circumstances of, and sometimes circumstances of, uh, you know, of their production in Africa. And that on its own then goes on to shape the kinds of publicness that, you know, uh, uh, that, they, bring into, uh, that they bring into being. In the post-apartheid era, censorship uh, has kind of lessened somewhat, but rare in the case of film. For example, there was a film in 2013 which was released called uh, Of Good Report, about a teacher who has a sexual relationship with a minor girl. However, and in a more uh, general sense, the regime of uh, censorship uh, in a way threatens to envelope South Africa because of the so-called secrecy laws uh, that uh, the South African state uh, uh, has proposed and that civil society in South Africa is kind of you know, uh, is, 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 is opposing. And that on its own, you know, um, I think has a, a, a kind of uh, important uh, ramifications or implications for uh, a publicness, uh, 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 for you know, uh, publicness in relation either to film or media uh, 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 in general. Other examples of censorship abound, leading to the conclusion that in Africa, films occupy a tense space between uh, privateness and openness, secrecy and openness, uh, the, the licit and the illicit, uh, shutting forth and back between them uh, uh, with varying degrees. This dynamic is not only historical, but is also definitive of contemporary post-colonial anxieties about Africa and its refusal to be flattened to a singular narrative. Uh, in these uh, uh, circumstances, one may even ask how publics can be constituted, given you know, the censorial role either of the state or of uh, um, uh, certain you know, actors in the, uh, in the public sphere. Now, I want to move to Come Back Africa as an example of a film that went through you know, the, the problematic of censorship and thinking about the publicness of film through this uh, problem, through this difficulty of censorship that is attendant on certain films that are produced you know, uh, in Africa. I led to the risks posed on the film, Come Back Africa, when it was short. The director uh, of the film smuggled the most a politically explosive footage out of the country, lest the authorities discovered and confiscated it. Coming Africa was not circulated in South Africa at the time of its release. 
it was a de facto banned film that only re-emerged in that country in the 1990s when apartheid was on its knees. The political conditions of its making were generally unwelcoming and simply closed off you know, uh, the, uh, 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 the, public, uh, uh, the public space. Uh, so due to state repression in South Africa, the film could not be possibly shown there. Yet, even the, uh, uh, circulating the film outside South Africa proved very difficult. Um, Rogozin, the director of the film, could not secure an opening in New York in 1959 because of the high exhibition charges and the large backlog of films waiting to be shown there. Nor were the film's aesthetics and subject matter in keeping with the conventions of conservatisms of the larger commercialized circuit. So predisposed towards critical engagement through cinema and failing to register the help of major cinemas in that regard, Rogozin resorted to uh, independent exhibition through his newly bought Bleecker Street Cinema in Greenwich Village, New York, which has been retrospectively called a kind of university of film by uh, uh, Robert Downey. Rogozin, who uh, came from a wealthy background, bought the 200-seater cinema with the aim of showing Comeback Africa. The opening of the cinema was an attempt at a cinematic public sphere, which was fertile for what Nagat and Huge called uh, autonomous organization of experience. The gambit, it appears, was to conjure out of the cinema's pa uh, patrons an engagé public, charged with sustaining the momentum of the exhibited film's provocations. Therefore, the theater's vision unequivocally altered the relationship between cinematic viewership and the physical space of the cinema. So both in terms of their configurations as theaters for new independent films and through the films they showed, Bleecker Street and another cinema called The New Yorker, where the film was also shown later, explicitly encouraged public critical engagements. With its showing in marginal venues, Comic Africa entered what can be called an oppositional or transitional public sphere, a transnational public sphere of avant-garde film thought and practice. This is evidenced by the take-up of the film by some film scholars and practitioners within the U.S. Uh, Academy and, uh, and film world. On its release in Venice and later Greenwich Village, uh, New York, in 1959 and 1960, respectively, Comeback Africa attracted the attention of the mainstream press in South Africa. And that is a very, very uh, interesting development. The views expressed in these newspapers reveal the extent of Comeback Africa's aberration in, in that country. The Rent Daily Mail, for instance, denied Comeback Africa any claim to rational sophistication and instead reduced it to bias and emotional outbursts. It accused Comeback Africa you know, of uh, being uh, part of a communist onslaught or a conspiracy against South Africa at the time. Now, the charge of bias was recirculated in another mainstream English language newspaper called the Sunday Times in a review titled Ace Liar Hoaxed South Africa, uh, South African Police While Making Film. Uh, now using it to besmirch the union abroad. Thus, the mainstream press in South Africa was concerned with the political comment of the film and its implications for capital and the apartheid state. The newspaper's inclination for setting opinions and carving out their public is suggestive of a publicness defined by containment and not encouragement of public debate. That is an example of a sensorial, a highly sensorial, you know, a kind of a political public sphere. So since the film was not circulated in South Africa and yet attracted mainstream press attention in South Africa, Comeback Africa had become a virtual text. So you're talking about a text that was absent in Africa at the time, but that was present in other uh, places uh, uh, you know, of the world, for instance, in the, in the United States, um, and which is very interesting 
because it, it retains a kind of public life, even in its absence in South Africa. This means that as a material object, the film became secondary in the generation of its own publicness. In their desperation to uh, counter the film, the newspapers attempted to contain the publicness of Comeback Africa along racial and class lines, yet they rendered Comeback Africa's publics unpredictable and infinite. This is simply because the newspapers made possible the generation of other virtual scenes of encounter with the film. And cons consequently, their negation of the film did not go as far as they prompted a significant response from a, a co-writer of the film in the form of Lewis Ngozi. Writing in a locally based leftist monthly called Fighting Talk, Ngozi took critical note of the newspaper's comments. Now, Fighting Talk began life as an anti-Nazi newspaper in 1942, a mouthpiece for Homefront League of the Springbok Legion, a servicemen's association. At the time of Ngozi's writing, it was the organ of the Congress Alliance until the organization was banned in 1963. Now, against what he called ill-informed criticism of the film in local newspapers, Ngozi reminded his readers that, and I quote him, the film sets out to tell the story of what happens to a man when he leaves the reserves for the big city. It does not pretend to be a documentary on the housing problem in the Union, nor was the producer obliged to vindicate you know, uh, the government. This is in response to the newspaper. Um, <coughs> mainstream press has charge of exaggeration in the film. Ngozi questioned whether it was still possible to exaggerate about such a grossly misgoverned, misinformed, and misdirected uh, country, quote unquote. Now, in registering his experiences and thoughts on the film, uh, on uh, to fighting talk, Ngozi closed whatever remained of its secrecy and rendered it public. His repost constitutes a notable tendency in which a film artist avails the film's aspirations for publicness. Now, that Ngozi wrote at all is interesting because he transformed himself from an interlocutor in the film into its public textual function. Now, a public textual, textual function is associated with a particular film, not only at the level of production, but also at the level of public engagement. As a film's public textual function, Ngozi has kept alive uh, the texture of the film's production circumstances and made the critical projections of the film part of its extended public life. He exploded the neatness with which the state sought to silence black publics in South Africa. Through Ngozi, Comeback Africa gained a foothold, uh, foothold that was critical for its publicness in South Africa, and that allowed it to undermine the, the restrictions of its circulation. Ngozi's role in the film circulation points to the strategic import of film crews in the en enhancement of the publicness of films produced in repressed conditions, or rather repressive conditions. Ngozi's review brought the film closer to the public and discursive youth of 60s South Africa. It invited the critical appreciation of a text which, though it was not available to the readership of fighting talk, was presented as key to the challenge of the apartheid system. It can be surmised, therefore, that Comeback Africa left a public critical imprint germane to the readership of fighting talk. This generated a significant space of discourse for a readership that was already grappling with the political challenges of apartheid. Comeback Africa transgressed its non-circulation in South Africa, but by entering through secondary text, the public engagements on black life under apartheid in that country. Thus, the film also illustrates Warner's point that the concatenation of text through time creates publics. However, the novelty of Comeback Africa is in drawing attention 
to the relation between transnational circulation, publicness, and the local non-circulation of texts. Now, in this scenario, the cinematic publicness of Kandak Africa was constituted chiefly through its transnational circulation and the local circulation of the text it generated. It is the distinction of Kandak Africa that it animated critical public engagement in a country where it had no circulation. Consequently, and in tandem with local discursive and political relations, transnational circulation and transnational publicness, Kandak Africa undermined its local non-circulation. It did this by provoking a social space of discourse in which publics considered the merits and demerits of its intervention. Now, enough about Kandak Africa, uh, save to say that Kandak Africa shows again that in Africa, you've, you've got that problem, which in a way, uh, because I'm talking about the film that was kind of made uh, many years ago, and the kind of conditions that were attended to it uh, at that time, uh, it still has some resonance because you still have those conditions in some parts of Africa where uh, the problem of, uh, of censorship, even if it is not quite direct, you know, censorship still persists and therefore uh, it still behooves us to consider it in relation to uh, films or, or to consider it within this uh, framing of film as actually a property of uh, the public sphere. I want to move on to Mapanzula uh, quickly, which also exemplify you know, um, you know, um, another you know kind of uh, 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 you know problematic of publicness and uh, and you know, and censorship. Mapanzula premiered in Cannes in 1988, Cannes in France. Almost immediately, it was banned. <coughs> According to the authorities, the film had potential to incite probable viewers to act violently, resulting in friction between blacks and whites, uh, that is, employers and employees encouraged confrontation with the police and sent the message of non-cooperation with the authorities, quote unquote. However, the banning did not bar its viewership by people considered adult by uh, the censorship board, which is like people who are 18 years and over, and in venues of not more than 200 seats. The authorities also demanded that certain cuts be made to the film. Interestingly, the banning order restricted the distribution of Mapanzula to video. According to Davis, the censors believed that, and I quote, the large screen amplifies the dangerous political effects the film could have on probable viewers in that country, quote unquote. Thus, in the censors rationale, the large screen of the cinema approximated reality in a way which together with occupation of uh, substantially shared public space uh, could have easily galvanized black viewers into actual political action. Considering the germaneness of the film to black people's political aspirations and South African cinema's perpetuation of racially exclusive experiences of cinema, the censors were not entirely wrong. Interestingly, their mistrust of the cinema appears to chime with Miriam Hansen's argument regarding the role of the structural conditions of cinema in relation to the public dimension of cinematic uh, you know, spectatorship. Uh, because with Miriam Hansen, when you think of cinema, uh, both as you know, film and, uh, and and structure where people are viewing films, you are uh, uh, one jump from seeing a film as actually a, a form of the public sphere itself. But in my bigger major work, I actually uh, argue that to think of public sphere in relation to uh, films or to the production, a cinematic uh, production, 
uh, one has to go beyond the structures themselves. Because as I said earlier in, in our talk, that one has to consider uh, film not only in terms of its concreteness as an object that is viewed within the cinema, but also in its abs uh, abstract, uh, in its abstractions. Because uh, uh, when you consider the circulation of film, that material object uh, uh, that is actually uh, put there in you know the video player or put there in you know uh, uh, in, in, in the projector, uh, that on its own can restrict uh, methodologically how you think of it as actually also circulating in other ways, uh, because it circulates materially, but the discourses that it engenders uh, are themselves uh, a, 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 a phenomena that go beyond uh, you know uh, the material object, the material object. Uh, material object uh, itself. Um, where was I? Um, um, interestingly, the mistrust of the censors, of, uh, uh, that is the mistrust of the censors of, of cinema, appears to chime with Miriam Hansen's uh, argument, you know, that I've made that point. However, a cinematic culture in the apartheid period was racially segregationist and the structures were unstable. This suggests uh, uncertainties about its capacity for uh, autonomous organization of experience. That is, by autonomous organization of experience, I'm using Necht and Klug. Uh, these, are, these are German theories of, of, of films and te television you know, and the public sphere, in which they are thinking of public sphere uh, as being able to carved spaces in which people or a whole kind of citizenry are able to move away from the kind of narratives and spaces that are kind of uh, officially convened um, and, and the kind of discourses about themselves. Um, and they do it in a way that uh, is independent, it's autonomous, and they relate to their own life you know, circumstances in a way that is not dependent on or is not premised on one, the kind of epistemic structures that uh, attended to the very uh, discourses that you know stem from one the state or uh, you know um, other hegemonic uh, uh, you know forces. Um, so this suggests uh, uncertainties about uh, cinema's capacity for autonomous organization of experience. That is South African cinema, particularly for an oppressed urban black pro proletariat. Yet uh, the structural conditions of cinema, regardless, uh, in the apartheid era. It posed political threat to the state and capital, not only as a sign for the autonomous articulation of experience, but also as a critical context for the mobilization of agency. In contexts such as uh, those of apartheid South Africa, it is important to cast an analytical eye beyond the structures of the cinema as a condition for the founding of an alternative public sphere. In that way, we can see that the conjunction of actual politics with Mapanzula, a film considered germane to such politics, constitute the measure of cinema's capacity for stimulating uh, public critical engagements in spite of the limits attendant on cinematic experience. Ironically, the censorship of Mapanzula in South Africa yielded grounds for the reputation uh, or notoriety of the film as an intervention in the political conditions of the day. Access to the, for the film on video, for instance, because of the changing technologies of film viewership at the time, meant that its rate of traveling, of circulation increased, and its journeys became unpredictable. It is notable that due to its censorship conditions and the reluctance of major distributors to show it, Mapanzula was not exhibited in conventional cinema 
uh, cylindrical complexes. This might have also enhanced its status as a potentially progressive text at a time when such kinds of work were mostly regarded with open hostility by the state and capital and prized by their opponents. For instance, prisoners on Robben Island had their own copy, as did Umkonto Wesizwe, uh, that is the armed wing of the African National Congress at the time, uh, in, uh, insurgents in Zambian camps. The primary publics then were the imprisoned, the exiled, the grassroots organizations, and those in the remote corners of South Africa for whom Mapanzula had the distinction of serving as a discursive prison and as a visual window into township conditions and general political you know, conditions uh, in the country at the time. The chance viewings of the film by these groupings, in spite of the prohibitive conditions around circulation, are a signal of its circumscribed publicness and of the import of the film for them. It can thus be argued that the publicness of Mapanzula was in these circumstances and at the time inscribed with the agency of political liberation. As such, the film's resonance and stimulation of actually existing political resistance constituted the discursive horizons of its initial publicness. It can be surmised that the film's unplanned clandestine distribution and conditional banning are significant in that they played a constitutive role in its publicness. This is a publicness in which the film's militant gestures were critically appreciated within and against uh, the actually un unfolding militant character of the organizations and groupings that accessed it. A debate over, over, over the film uh, between two exiled members of the ANC evinces uh, this observation. Between 1989 and 1990, significant public engagements of Mapanzula occurred, in the course of which the liberation movement wrestled with the idea of political import of the film in the anti-apartheid struggle. This took place in the pages of Sechaba, a political journal publicized as the official organ of the African National Congress. The debate drew attention to Mapanzula as a cinematic mediation of the local uh, political circumstances and imperatives for the internationally based you know, uh, activists and critics. I beg your pardon. Ralph Mzamu, then exiled member of ANC and a cadre of Omkonto uh, Wesizwe, praised the film as a positive contribution to the fight against apartheid. He contrasted it to earlier films whose main thrust, he argued, was a reflection of, and I quote, bourgeois ideological conventions in marginalizing the blacks, distorting their culture, and being economical with historical fact, when not downright derisive, quote unquote, uh, Mzamo in Sechaba. Now for Mzamo, Mapanzula nonetheless was, and I quote, a piece of naive integrationism, quote unquote, which simply replaced the white heroes with the black ones. In respect of gender, Mzamo saw women as adjuncts in a narrative that was mainly about the exploits of a male hero against the genre convention. The thrust of his argument was that the film's projection of the black hero manifests an undesirable vision of cultural decadence and a lack of organizational control, quote unquote. Very key points and that we can trace back to the political vocabulary of ANC uh, you know, uh, cadres you know, at the time. Cultural decadence, organizational control, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, now, another Kadre, a, a comrade of, of, uh, of Ralph Mzamo by the name of Tando Zuma, an ANC activist writing from Lusaka, challenged Mzamo's views. For her, the significance of the film lay in the last scene when Panic declined to cooperate with the police. In contrast to Mzamo, Zuma found the substance of the film in the outcome of Panic's altercations with the police and not re the replay of his lumpen lifestyle outside prison. 
In Zuma's view, panicked exploits were a narrative illustra illustration of a conspicuous uh, extent of apartheid effects on even those who were outside the relations of production. Zuma resisted the interpretation of panic's actions as more than a natural reaction that results from, excuse me, from frustration. Accordingly, panic, who is the central character in Mapanzula, his actions could not possibly constitute solutions, as Mzama was inclined to think. Further, the importance of the film, Zuma suggested, lay in the film's exposure of the situation of the domestic workers in South Africa, both in Penning's rejection of Pat's work as shit and in the film's production values, which put a black person as a, as a senior creative artist. Zuma also commended the film for going up a step further than Cry Freedom, which she suggested, and I quote, romanticizes white liberals, quote unquote. Mapanzula, uh, Zuma concluded, foregrounded the fact that uh, people like Penick, who is a lumpen element, and I quote, do become good political soldiers, quote unquote. Now, what is, what is all this doing? This, this debate between Ralph Mzamo, two comrades sitting you know, uh, in exiled camps uh, uh, you know, uh, of, uh, of Southern Africa, um, talking about this film. The engagement of Mapanzula by Mzamo and Zuma constitute the film's generation of what I've called exilic or diasporic publics, and therefore of the wide horizons of its publicness. Further, the engagements evidently tested the film against the political benchmark that Sichaba represented. It is also notable that Mzamo's reading of Penic as a hero in the scheme of gangster genre conventions was made through a perspective sensitive to gender. And quite significantly, Mzamo and Zuma's observations consistently reduced Penick to a conflict according to which he could either fulfill a revolutionary heroism or remain politically impotent. A difficulty in dealing with Penick's potential of fulfilling the roles they assigned him is also manifest in the arguments presented. This suggests that the engagements are not neatly defined through the film's resonance with the anti-apartheid struggle, but actually show how the film opened up other perspectives that destabilized the certitudes of the struggle itself. Therefore, the engagement showed that the publicness of the film was also defined by its capacity to generate reflection over social and political certitudes of what it means to be a good political soldier, what it means to be black. We have seen in the above how banned films do call publics into being in ways that were not anticipated. And of course, I'm talking about Mapanzula and Comeback Africa, and not always with the benefit of watching them. Thus, and ironically, censorship or uh, uh, or difficult circumstances of exhibition have an effect on the degree of film's public critical potency. I now turn to the fecund culture and industry of popular videos, which also present its own drama of publicness. This gives another example of policing of production of moving pictures, not too remote from the impulse to censor uh, films, uh, as we have seen with the likes of Mapanzula, Comeback Africa, and Flame, thereby marshalling how film ought to conduct its role in the post-colonial public sphere. The indefatigable reader of Nollywood films and film culture, Onukome Okome, has provided a useful map of the engagements of Nollywood, which I read as being exemplary of the problematic of publicness as it relates to film in Africa. Okome shows two broadly irreconcilable signs of arguments over the efficacy of this industry and film idiom. Though they occurred in the 1990s and early 2000s, this pronouncement resonates uh, 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 in the present. For instance, you can see, for instance, on Okome's citation of a character called John Afolabi, whose readings of the film Battle of Musanga uh, uh, um, 
2013, asserts it as a literal confirmation of the John Deist Eurocentric views and European hegemonic myth about the underdevelopment of Africans, quote unquote. In one camp, the Norwood naysayers, uh, that is the two camps, remember these are two camps that Onokame Okome is talking to and that you know, I'm uh, referring to here. The Norwood naysayers and their supporters took a dim view of uh, Norwood. One of its lights, uh, by the name of Adimola James, a former head of Nigeria's National Film and Video Census Board, infamously declared in 1999 that Nollywood projects, and I quote, negative images that cast Nigerians in, in a bad light. Occultism, cultism, fetishism, witchcraft, divinish spiritualism, uncontrolled tendency for sexual display, bloodiness, incest, violence, poisoning, etc., etc., are negatively based uh, themes that portray the people of Nigeria and the country in a bad light to the outside world and therefore ought to be censored, quote unquote. The spirit of uh, and direction of James's sentiments have survived in the, into the 2000s, as shown by the Zimbabwean writer and filmmaker uh, Titi Dangaramba's 2004 Assertions on Nollywood. She is also quoted in Okome's study as saying that Nollywood films lack depth and artistic and technical quality and range, quote unquote. In addition, Dangaramba decried a lack of intellectual exercise, engagement, and envisioning of the future in these films. That this public include filmmakers such as Chief Edi Ukboma in Nigeria and other practitioners in the, in the field of film uh, in Africa has led Okome to conclude that they place Nollywood against celluloid films of the 1970s, which they prefer. They motivate, their motivation for their support is the political theme and aesthetics characterizing such films, that is the celluloid films you know, produced in the 70s, 60s. On the other hand, uh, Nollywood filmmakers have taken a clearly oppositional position against critical opinion on Nollywood, such as being represented you know, uh, by the likes of Adimola James and Titi Dangaramba. In a section called Nollywood Writes Back, uh, in his, in his uh, work on Nollywood and his critics, uh, a famous article by Okome, he points, for instance, to a Nollywood video maker called Charles Novia, who says, and I quote, we tell our own stories, and I can attest that they are well received by our own people and are more accessible to them than the celluloid movies shot by your generation years ago. That is the generation of uh, uh, some of the filmmakers uh, of the 1970s, which we never get to see, quote unquote. So basically, Charles Novia is at the same time as is, is taking uh, a kind of uh, oppositional view to criticism of, uh, of Norwood is also criticizing you know, uh, the established conventional films you know, or, uh, of Africa for their lack of accessibility uh, um, and uh, kind of cultural high-handedness. High I have revisited Okome's mapping to illustrate further some of the conditions under which film in Africa labors, and that also serves to uh, as de facto conditions by which they may be considered in relation to their publics. These are conditions of censorship, of popular cinematic post-colonial idioms, providing um, for space against a hostile you know, uh, and generally elite opinion. In South Africa, it was apartheid. In Zimbabwe, the entrenched hyper-masculinist uh, nationalism. And in West Africa, an elite posse of established filmmakers, state functionaries, and the university-based education strata. This remained in place in varying degrees in Africa today. Okome's mapping of the debate is indicative of a dualistic nature of the post-colonial public discourse around popular films, producing as it does these categories of public opinion from two apparently different publics, the elite and the popular public. 
the concerns of these two and other protagonists in the engagement of Nollywood or popular video films in general are close enough to justify a common categorization of an elite public and a popular one. Uh, a popular public, or what I call generally, because I think it does have resonance uh, with my own categorization, non-expert public, um, to use uh, 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 my own intent, um, is that unofficial or non-institutionalized consumers of video films, a public whose encounter with films occurs through repertoires of engagement that are embodied without being uncritical. Uh, this public may be surreptitious, operating outside the confines of institutionalized structures of film or video film, showing an open or open in certain ways. What I've called expert public is that formalized entity whose preoccupation with cultural production as an area of inquiry enjoins it to comment and adjudicate cultural taste, to comment on and adjudicate cultural taste, histories and trends. It wields traditional or conventional ways of mediating the text uh, to their consumers and to themselves. So the expert public does this through the vocabulary of the field and uh, onset sides of public engagement. Now, while these categories are not automatically mutually combative, they do share a common trait, the acknowledgement of an investment in film as a side of public critical engagement. Yet, the elite type of public is more invested in questions of aesthetic value and thematic direction than the popular one, which comes to themes in uh, an embodied manner that reflects the identification, their identification with the film and uses that are unimaginable to elite opinion. Examples abound uh, in uh, South Africa and Namibia uh, with regard to this point, um, which uh, kind of are part of the legacies of Nollywood, the transnational legacies of uh, 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 Nollywood and how Nollywood has, uh, has actually been able to function as a cultural resource for, for example, university students uh, in Namibia and South Africa who form part of its you know, uh, uh, popular, uh, popular audience. Um, I think about the name of um, Heike Becker has actually given us a glimpse of this uh, piece or zone of Nollywood's transnational you know, uh, you know, uh, kind of dimensions. For Becker, and I quote, the consumption of Nigerian video films provides young, highly educated cosmopolitan men and women in Cape Town in South Africa with the opportunity to claim, reinvent, and debate their Africanity, thus imagining a contemporary brand of Afro-modernity on screen. Becker, 2013. This is an example of the public discursivity of the, public, uh, of the popular video films in Africa, and it has been replicated uh, in African uh, 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 diaspora you know, as well. There are many texts today that we can refer to which show the kind of uh, um, uh, uh, significance of Nollywood and the publicness of Nollywood itself way beyond the kind of uh, uh, the geopolitical border of, 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 of Nigeria and uh, West Africa in general. Uh, you talk of Nollywood in, for instance, uh, Barbados, the use of Nollywood in Barbados. You talk of Nollywood in New York and California. Uh, Nollywood in East Africa, for instance. Uh, in many you know, parts of the world where it's doing you know, a work that uh, a, a was kind of uh, not predicted you know, at the time of its release, uh, but work that also enjoins us to think of it along lines of uh, its potential to create public critical engagements of uh, Africa and the themes that are related to uh, particular visions of Africa's future 
and uh, the kind of uh, uh, um, image of Africa as a particular post-colonial, you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 zone, uh, um, a zone of uh, of the world. <coughs> and uh, one of the kind of uh, thinkers uh, uh, around uh, Nollywood by the name of uh, Judy Akudinobi has actually uh, written, uh, you know, quite celebratory. Uh, piece on uh, Norwood, uh, which is a very recent you know, a paper called Prisms and Paradigms uh, uh, in, uh, in Norwood, in which uh, she shows that, and I quote, uh, that Norwood actually, um, uh, in melding various film genres and establishing diverse representational registers, narratives and themes, by exploring global popular cultural forms, uh, but emphasizing stories that ordinary Africans can identify with, by allowing wellsprings of talent to emerge and, uh, and develop. Nollywood has created critical spaces and reference points for the reappraisal of African cinema, of histories, and uh, uh, its futures. So towards conclusions, uh, I can say that publicness of film in Africa is not confined to the continent, but, he, but historical circumstances dictate that it became a transnational phenomenon. In the case of Comeback Africa and Mapanzula, that meant the exiling of films uh, along the exiling of black publics in the form of NK combatants, for instance, but also uh, exiling of black publics within South Africa itself. This is an issue that can be thought of as historical. However, the political imbalances or instabilities uh, in Africa, and sometimes disagreements, mean that we have to think about film in a way that is dictated in part by factors different you know, uh, from the conventional open viewership you know, uh, 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 or publicness. Further, it is clear that the two examples of Comeback Africa and Mapanzula, for instance, show us the importance of considering the renegade, the renegade status of film as an ultimately unpoliceable, uh, but certainly discursive uh, phenomenon with or without the actual article being present you know, uh, for viewership. Methodologically then, the publicness of film has to be approached in a way that admits of its discursive expansiveness that is not always, or that does not always enjoy the requisite availability of the film itself. Censorship or positionality to films that are either critical of certain political tendencies in the public sphere or carve their methods uh, of production, narrative, aesthetics, and circulations uh, denote a particular public within film practice and cultural field of certain African contexts. However, their existence only shows the multidimensionality of publicness in, uh, in relation to film in Africa. The Nollywood story points to Africa's refusal to be pinned to a singular narrative and singular kind of way of thinking about publics. Video films actually uh, are responsible for certain public discursivity that parallel to the conventionally and institutionalized film practice produced cultural discourse of Afro-modernity and are used in myriad ways that are important for their publics in Africa and elsewhere. Methodologically then, Nollywood or popular uh, video films bring into view popular publics that are not any less critical, but actually encompass a critical publicness that is more embodied and, and presents its own discursive repertoires at, you know, uh, at a level that uh, normally when we think about rational critical discourse or the rational critical tendency in political public sphere or in the public sphere in that Habermasian sense, we do not really uh, kind of reflect on, um, especially uh, 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 because when we, we, we think about uh, non-elite uh, publics, we hardly uh, think of them as actually rational critical in their own ways. So in a way, uh, methodologically, it's important that we acknowledge that there is more than one way of being critical. 
and when you think of the publics of, of you know Nollywood, or some of the publics you know of Nollywood, particularly of the popular uh, type, we we have to go a certain way to expand our own understanding of uh, the rational you know uh, critical and not uh, necessarily pander to uh, the, uh, the established Habermasian sense uh, sense of it. For instance, the kind of uh, what what I've, I, I've I've called an embodied but rational, you know, uh, you know uh, a critical, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, publicness. Uh, um, also shows that people actually <coughs> do acknowledge and are at the same time uh, uh, critical, you know, uh, in their viewing, uh, in their appreciation, you know, uh, of these films, but in a way that does not necessarily follow the repertoires, the syntax, and the vocabulary of, you know, uh, academic or expert publics. I will stop there. I thank you. much and for those of you who've not uh, read uh, Dr. Murasani's book, that you didn't bring copies for us I to did buy, not did unfortunately I, uh, <laughs> next time yeah. <laughs> uh, he, I think what he, the talk he gave tonight gives quite a good snapshot um, if I can use the language of film, of, of or it's a good poster yes. uh, for what is uh, in his book uh, which as uh, Dr. Doby has already said has truly transformed uh, South African uh, film studies. And it's the kind of book that I think, with each rereading, um, I'm more convinced of that. I think it really is a book that has changed the game. Um, I want to pick up on some of the key words that you've used, uh, uh, and the one that I particularly want to make a few comments on uh, is uh, about circulation. On a day like today, uh, when the images coming out of South Africa of students barricading their universities um, in both Cape Town and Johannesburg, uh, the footage, the, the, the videos, the photographs we see are of students performing a shut university. So uh, the, the, the message students are talking about, what they're trying to talk about, is how they feel excluded from their university, either financially, intellectually, or linguistically and the way they're expressing it is by locking the university. And I wonder what the implications are of that, of those images uh, for, uh, for us as academics, for those of us who are interested in images, what do we do with those images? How do we relate that to the things that you've been talking about today? Um, and what, what kind of public is being convened uh, in those images that we see uh, on the news? and on YouTube videos put out, because the student movements in South Africa, like Roads Must Fall, that many of you know about, have been very sophisticated in their use of uh, film and photography and how they disseminate images of uh, what it is they're doing. I mean, the images of what is been down to um, the Statue of Rhodes and King George uh, in South Africa are extremely memorable um, as statues, as the way people use statues often are. Um, so that was my one set of questions then, uh, well not questions, comments. Um, you know, talking about South Africa in an African context, uh, and I guess my question to you is, that what is the topic of your lecture is um, cinema and its publics in Africa. And I want to ask, how does South Africa in fact 
circulate in Africa as a sign, if you like. It's very clear to us how South Africa circulates in Hollywood, um, where even the story of Nelson Mandela becomes a white-centered story. You know, there's a the absorbed the way in which South Africa is absorbed. But I wonder how does South Africa circulate um, within Africa? Uh, what is South Africa to Africa, and what work does South Africa do in and for Africa in the way that it circulates as a I don't know what what is the word you use as a sign or as a um, a figure, um, and then my third set of questions had to do with again with circulation, and to do with the circulation of knowledge. Um, so when one sees the kind of statistics of publication coming out of Africa, um, it's uh, the statistics vary between ninety and ninety five percent of all academic publishing coming out of Africa, coming out of South Africa. But then what those statistics don't reveal is that many of those articles are written not by South African-born Africans, just in you know the people you thank in your introduction or in your preface to your book. The number of Kenyans, the number of Nigerians, Ethiopians listed as collaborators and people who've informed your work. South Africa has a strange place in that sense, that um, many scholars, many academics from elsewhere come to work there, and um, so there South Africa also circulates in a peculiar way uh, within, within a larger Africa. Um, so let me maybe, let me stop, oh, oh, and then just one final thing to tie it all together. How do you think these various levels um, that I've pointed out of circulation uh, feed into uh, contemporary South African cinema, in particular as it sort of reenacts these circulations. You, you know, you mentioned Mokonsula, how easy it is in South Africa to do crowd scenes um, because you know the lived reality is so similar to the thing that one is trying to present on the screen. A bit like. Battle of Algiers, you know, you're reenacting something while it's actually still happening. Um, so, just impressionistic responses to your wonderful talk, and I don't know whether you, how you want to run it, whether we open to the floor now or respond. Yes, up to Dr. Magasani, would you like to respond to? Uh, yeah, it's okay. I think I, w I would, I'd, I'd want to, you know, to respond to uh, these provocations. These are provocations which, uh, in one sense, uh, speak to a you know larger challenges uh, that that are outside you know the kind of film field as such. But at the same time, do uh, reference film field. Uh, for instance, the question of images um, and you know publicness in that strict political sense, where a public is out there to do something, to achieve something through protest, you know, through certain repertoires, you know, uh, of of uh, political claim making. And when you look at the students, the images of students, you know, themselves, of course they do resonate with, the, with certain periods in South Africa. You know, for instance, the anti-apartheid period uh, in South Africa and the international anti-apartheid movement here in London, in, 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 in New York, and uh, Australia and other, you know, pockets of the world as such. Uh, however, it is a kind of, you know, a publicness that South Africa has gotten used to. Well, somebody wrote once that South Africa is a protest-rich country. <laughs> People protest all the time. In fact, uh, 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 on another note, somebody protested that this protest is just too much. And then perhaps 
we have to have a protest against protest <laughs> in South Africa because they're just going you know, uh, too far. But of course, uh, on a more serious note, protests are, are important as part of the register, of course, of uh, how people feel about you know, certain, uh, certain kind of developments. But at the same time, they also reference you know, the continuing attempt to close off certain voices you know, uh, from the public sphere via, of course, uh, for instance, the controlling of institutions or institutional cultures. And, and, I, and I think it's, 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 it's very important in a way because if people close off the universities, it means something must be very wrong. And what is very wrong in, 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 in my you know, humble view is that the very universities are not functioning as they should. They're not functioning as spaces you know, where dialogue is possible more than in any other space, where it is possible for what has been called rational critical activity to actually take place, to actually unfold uh, without any fear. And, and that on its own becomes, again, another signpost of how the university has become so embedded in discourses that are not of them, of, of itself, or that cannot be traced to the classical idea of a university as a space of ideas, uh, and not as a space that is hostile to ideas, but as a space that actually has become you know, affined you know, uh, to um, a certain neoliberal you know, uh, a kind of uh, a tendency that has seeped into its culture, that informs its hiring practices, that informs how to structure courses, that informs who gets into the university and, and who, stays, uh, who stays outside. These are very, very uh, important questions, which if uh, 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 they were addressed you know, uh, by the university itself, perhaps we wouldn't be where we are today with regards to South Africa. So in a way, the circumstances you know, leading to uh, this protest are themselves responsible for the kind of publicness that they produce. And uh, one cannot therefore uh, apportion blame, you know, on students and become a, a kind of judgmental, uh, you know, in that, you know, kind of uh, a right-wing, you know, uh, manner that does not really, you know, consider the political issues, uh, the political issues, you know, uh, uh, on the ground itself. Uh, South Africa in an African conflict, how does South Africa circulate in Africa as a sign? Very interesting question, which uh, I think is a question that one would need to reflect on some more, uh, because... Uh, uh, actually, it puts you know certain conceptual demands you know uh, 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 you know on one, and that you know uh, would need uh, one to consider, uh, uh, for instance, the kind of uh, multiple ways in which South Africa sells itself to Africa. Uh, for instance, when you are within the South African context and uh, you read magazines, you read you know the media, you watch television and stuff. South Africa is often uh, 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 um, represented as not being in Africa. So Africa becomes a corner, a ghettoized corner, you know, that becomes uh, a kind of object of South Africa's gaze, okay? So, and this, this is not surprising, because remember, we come from a period in South Africa has actually presented itself in those, uh, you know, a kind of isolationist, you know, uh, insularities, uh, where uh, it, it does not see itself really as part of Africa. Because remember, the the kind of uh, discourse that informed South Africa, the formation of South Africa as a particular uh, geopolitical you know, entity was a discourse of whiteness, basically, of a white minoritarian kind of imagination. And that imagination has somehow seeped uh, uh, into uh, the entire uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, public imaginary in South Africa of the post-apartheid era in South Africa today. And it does not choose you know, racial lines and stuff. It's an imaginary that is shared you know, uh, 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 across. So, uh, in a way, one can think of South Africa as a sign from the perspective of how South Africa itself 
uh, views itself in relation you know, uh, 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 to Africa, you know, uh, for instance. And that relation is on its own you know, uh, uh, quite a problematic one. Uh, secondarily, we can think about it, and I think perhaps this also answers the later question that you asked about knowledge production and the fact that you've got many Africans who are not from South Africa and who are part of the production of uh, uh, knowledge uh, in South Africa in the sense that when you think of curricula uh, in South Africa, you still have the same kind of uh, curricula uh, in, 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 in most of the time that still panders to a particular you know, kind of uh, uh, epistemy and epistemy uh, that one can, uh, uh, without you know, fear of contradiction, actually call a colonial. A colonial and also Eurocentric. So that when one thinks of knowledge, one does not think of a very expansive um, and epistemically generous field that one can tap, uh, tap into and uh, think about in those, in those, in those expansive uh, uh, ways. But you think of it only in particular terms, but terms that have you know, a, 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 a kind of their bias uh, towards uh, towards Europe, you know, as you know, as a result. Uh, for instance, when you look at you know the, the uh, you know the curricula, uh, uh, um, these uh, scholars, African scholars, um, like uh, for instance um, the Makerele curricula that Mahmoud Mamdani uh, has tirelessly you know been working you know working for, is something that is foreign and not just foreign to South African Academy, but that South African Academy is actually hostile towards, and that is a problem. And in relation to how uh, uh, South Africa is kind of understood as sign in, in, in the entire continent, I think there are many ways of, you know, uh, of thinking about this this sign, this uh, 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 this phenomenon called South Africa. There, there is no one singular way of uh, of seeing it in that way. And I'll tell you why. It was historically, for instance, South Africa has you know kind of been shifted politically and culturally from one pole to another. At some point it's an apartheid state, at another point it's a post-apartheid state. At some point it is part of a regeneration of ideas uh, in the form of African Renaissance. At another point uh, it has forgotten African Renaissance. It is uh, seeing itself as an economic hub uh, and that is leading in terms of uh, uh, um, inserting uh, the kind of neoliberal agenda on the continent. So you've got all these different phases of uh, South Africa and that I think also seep into uh, how it is presented or presents itself in South Africa. I mean, there was a time when, a, when you were in Ghana and you were a South African, uh, you would be embraced as a Mandela's child. So that being South African was affined to the values attached to Mandela himself. But today, I, 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 I do not think it is, it is still possible uh, because of course of the changing and uh, you know, shifting, uh, shifting conscious of how South Africa imagines itself and how uh, the kind of the kind of uh, um, ways you know uh, or, or thought that that, that uh, images that uh, that it, it invites you know from other uh, uh, African countries. Yeah, the various levels of circulation fitting into a contemporary feeling uh, in South Africa. Well, first of all, there is an institutional regime still that classifies films. Uh, you know, your NFEF, your, your uh, National Film and Classification Board, uh, which of course is common in, you know, in any country. Um, so one cannot just make a film and then believe that it will go. Okay? Uh, there's also the sensorial hand you know, to it, uh, which, we cannot, which we cannot deny. And of course, there are those moments when a film comes out and is accused of all sorts of things, like of Good Report, for instance, which, is, which, was, uh, kind of, uh, which was censored you know, actually, for child pornography, you know, uh, 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 um, 
or, or something of, 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 of that nature. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge the fact that, unlike in the past, there are what you call online presences of discussion, of debate, and there are ways in which we watch film that uh, can be regarded as being outside of that kind of institutional regime. Uh, so in a way, you still have marginal, maybe not no longer, not as marginal as, as it used to be, ways of coming into a film uh, without having to you know, kind of worry about the entire value chain of how a film comes to, you know, to be viewed uh, in, in, in South Africa or, or, or even in, in, in any particular country. So there's that, there's that uh, uh, autonomy, if you like, between production and circulation and, uh, 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 and viewing you know, of, you know, of films themselves. Um, so in a way, uh, censorship can be undercut by these you know, technologies, which may not be as new as they used to be. <laughs> You know, uh, five years or so ago, new media, all is new about new media, you know, that <laughs> kind of question, uh, 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 you know. But at the same time, again, censorship or the censorial kind of uh, regime that I have considered in this paper is not necessarily the be and all of film and publicness in Africa or in South Africa in particular. For instance, when you think about publicness and film uh, in the context of the Marikana massacre, the one film that always comes to mind. That, that, that really should come to mind immediately is Rehat Desai's uh, Minor Shutdown. Minor Shutdown has singularly created a public outside of the official articulations of what happened in Marikana. By the way, for those who may not know, Marikana is a very horrible event that took place in South Africa in 2012, uh, I stand to be corrected, where miners who were uh, actually protesting uh, for, against the, 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 their employer uh, in the uh, mining area called Rastenberg for higher pay were actually massacred. I mean, there is no other word to use. They were actually massacred in broad daylight by the police. Something that was reminiscent to what happened in 1960 in Shadbury, for instance, in South Africa. So basically, Rehat Desai goes out and makes this documentary uh, film, presents a counter argument to the official government you know, uh, uh, narrative and actually shows you know, in a very persuasive manner that this thing was, um, was planned all along. It is not something that happened you know, uh, randomly. Uh, there are people who are responsible for it, and there are kind of historical kind of legacies that it can be related back to, and that actually make it less of a mystery than the government you know, wanted, to, uh, wanted to make it. So with minor shutdown, you have that uh, particular kind of publicness that is related uh, uh, you know, uh, to film, uh, but which, you know, uh, uh, the distinction of which is that it is actually in the center of the political public sphere itself, in a manner that then uh, makes us see that in fact when you think of film, you can actually uh, see its very centrality not its marginality too, but its centrality in the political public sphere in contemporary South Africa today. And that's, that's uh, what we are talking about. We talk about film and publicness in South Africa. And of course, there will be varying degrees or you know, different degrees to which film can actually state a claim or, uh, within you know, uh, the political public sphere in South Africa uh, today. But the hard science film is one example that shows that what we are talking about here is not always a marginal form. 
it may have been a marginal form in the past or in certain circumstances, but here we're talking about a form that is very much mainstream, that is very central to how even opinion is formed uh, and the kind of uh, public discursivity that you know comes into comes into place. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Mavsani. Yeah, can I?